Hi, this is Mary Coughlin, and I want to welcome you to the Care Out Loud podcast, presented to you by Caring Essentials Collaborative, founder of the Trauma-Informed Professional Certificate Program and internationally recognized leader in trauma-informed developmentally supportive education for parents and professionals serving babies, children, and families in crisis around the globe. I'm wicked excited you're here as we talk about caring out loud. In each moment lies a unique opportunity to create a kinder, more connected and compassionate world one moment at a time. And it all begins with you. Since 2010, as founder and executive director of the NICU Parent Network, Kira Sorrells has worked to elevate the NICU parent leader as a professional in maternal infant health. After giving birth to triplets at just 25 weeks and five days gestation and losing one of her daughters at 14 months old, Kira has remained committed to ensuring the voice and perspectives of NICU and bereaved families as an integral component to every facet of healthcare. Together with a dedicated team of NICU parent leaders, Kara has grown NICU Parent Network, a mission-based professional organization for NICU parent leaders who collectively represent the needs and best interests of NICU families across the U.S. to over 40 support organization members across 28 states and three countries. NICU Parent Network continues to be a sought-after resource and collaborative partner for providers, researchers, industry, and other stakeholders in this niche of healthcare. Ms. Sorrells' commitment to authentic leadership and collaboration has successfully established a unified representation for NICU parents everywhere. Well, welcome, Kara Sorrells. I am so wicked excited that you accepted our invitation to be part of our Care Out Loud podcast series. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. You are one of the most inspiring people that I've come to know. So it it really is a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Gosh, thank you so very much. Well, I thought we could kick it off with you just kind of giving us the story about how you came to establish NICU Parent Network. Absolutely. So I am a parent of um, NICU babies. I had triplets that were born at 25 weeks, five days, and one of them struggled um, quite a bit. So ended up in the NICU for nine months. Unfortunately, we did lose her very unexpectedly when she was 14 months old. Um, I think that had that not happened, I never would have gotten into advocacy um, because it was it was really that trauma <laughs> that triggered my need to do something. At the time, it certainly was about me trying to make sense of what happened and to find purpose in why did she endure nine months in the NICU to come home and then die? Like it just, it took me a very long time and a lot of uh, therapy and, and counseling to let go of having to find a purpose. But that's really what triggered me into advocacy and support for other families. Initially, I wanted to focus on -on one-on-one parent support for families once they had gone home. 
and had medical equipment and juggling all of the specialists and the procedures that still have to happen even after you're in the NICU. But it did lead me to an advocacy meeting opportunity. And I remember being in this room of about 60 or so professionals. There were people from the American Academy of Pediatrics, the National Association of Neonatal Nurses, A1, HRSA, the National Perinatal Association, all these really smart people with all these acronyms after their names. And I remember I just sat there at my table purposely in like the back corner (laughs) and thought, what am I doing here? I was one of three parents that was there. The other was Deb Desenza, who is a great advocate in our world. And the other was Maureen Doolin Boyle, who started Mothers of Super Twins um, years ago. That was actually how I found my peer mentor was was through her organization. And it was really fascinating in this meeting to hear about the developments that were being made by these leading healthcare organizations and provider associations and discharge planning teaching for nurses to better prepare parents for going home, the creation of a NICU journal for parents to help them navigate. But the question that I came away with was, where are the parents that are helping you with this? Because there weren't any. Yeah. And um, having a conversation with Deb afterwards, I was like, isn't that kind of backwards? to create something to help someone without their input. There is this quote from Gandhi that says, what you do for me without me, you do against me. And that really resonated with me because I thought, how do you know after you spend all this money and time creating this resource, is it really going to help if you don't have families from the beginning? That is what then precipitated my, uh, conversation with an advocacy director at a pharmaceutical company that was trying to build up coalitions in different states for maternal health. And I was like, what about doing a parent meeting? And they were like, great, let's do it. And I've never gotten a grant so fast, nor planned a conference so fast, because I think we got the okay in July and had it in October back in 2010. And it was, it was amazing to bring these other NICU parent leaders that were, you know, this was 13 years ago. So this was before all the Facebook and social media. So these are people that were starting their grassroots community organizations, some of which have gone on to become some of the most successful peer-to-peer support organizations in the country, which is really exciting. But it was, it was, let's bring these folks together. We're all trying to do our own thing in our own little silo. And how can we work together? Because we don't all have the capacity and not one organization can do it all and do it well for all the people that need the help. And the other reason we started was to create a collective voice of NICU families Mm -hmm. that could begin to partner with healthcare professionals to make sure that that family voice is represented. So here we are now, we've got 43 organization members across the country. And I think we're 28 different states. So these are all autonomous individual organizations under our umbrella. So, you know, something popped up in my head when you were speaking. How much do you think our healthcare system, kind of the paternalism of the healthcare system is, is responsible for this fragmentation of care, of service, of support 
for families. I mean, we can focus just on the NICU, but I think everybody understands that this transcends all patient All facets. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. I absolutely think it's, there's this historical nature of healthcare to be hierarchical yep. and, and patriarchal where the physician is revered and, you know, and everybody else is supposed to just go along. I mean, obviously things have changed over the decades, but yes. I'm sure, you know, decades ago in the NICU, parents were told, go yeah. home. We'll let you know when the baby's ready. And, you yeah. know, which just seems... <laughs> outrageous in, right. in this day and age. But I think it was that we know what we're doing. We're going to take care of the baby. And I think just something that I've learned a lot from you, Mary, is just the lack of humanity yeah. placed in the personhood of the baby, I yeah. think is what was, you know, traditionally done. And we know so much more now, thank goodness, but yeah. there's still decades of that kind of embedded attitude and culture yeah. that we're still having to undo. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because I think there has been lots of forward movement and discoveries about how we can do things better, but there is that residual bit that many folks aren't even aware of, right? You don't realize how these systemic factors influence how you show up to the work regardless of For the sure. discipline and even families, how families mm -hmm. come into these traumatic situations um, and they're already imprinted with their own exposure to systemic influences and um, shapes your view of the experience, how you process the experience. I wonder, I wondered if you might comment on how um, your journey to become a trauma-informed professional. So, you know, you've, you've, you're in this journey right now. You have this backstory of your own lived experiences of trauma and how that has ignited this, you know, passionate advocacy role and how that's emerging and shaping your life's mission, your life's calling. Influenced that at all or informed it at all? Has it had any impact on your trajectory? Absolutely. The first time I heard you speak was, several years ago about trauma-informed care. And even back, you know, in the beginning, I was very focused on, okay, this is what the parents need. You know, they need this trauma-informed care. It's at the bedside, you know, it's inside the walls of the hospital. What the experience of going through the program has really opened my eyes and just broadened my view that this is not about the bedside or inside the walls of the hospital. This is every day interacting human to human. Yeah. And it is like you you talk about so um, eloquently is that we are wired for connection, whether that's the baby is wired for connection, we're wired for connection. It's It even goes back to, I mean, there's just so many ways, Mary, that it, that it has really shown up in my life personally and professionally. The importance of being trauma-informed and not just being informed, but actually practicing because we can have all the knowledge in our heads and what does it do unless we actually implement it. But I think what has struck home to me and particularly, so we have an annual conference and our conference is for the leaders of the organizations that provide the support to families, the peer-to-peer -peer support primarily. So all of these leaders have had a personal experience in the NICU or a briefing experience. They employ or lead, you know, staff or volunteers who are also veteran 
NICU families, those volunteers are the ones that are working one-on-one -on -one as mentors to families in crisis. So we've got this just this trifecta of trauma <laughs> experience yeah. as we have new people that come to our conference and they start to see and hear about, you know, trauma. They have a name for what they experience, which is so powerful. And they often come to us and say, I thought I was going to come and learn NICU stuff. <laughs> but yeah. what I've learned is I haven't healed yet. Yeah. And I have some more healing to do. And that's what is really important and has opened my eyes to what we need to make sure these leaders are prepared for. Yeah. If you're going to go out in the world and do this work, you need to have at least started your healing journey. Right. It's just so important. I don't know if that even answered your question. Oh, it absolutely <laughs> your original did. And I love, I, I, you transitioned into that reality. First of all, the language. We yeah. don't include the lexicon of trauma and, and trauma-informed care in the environment without the words, right? You just, you, you know, you're feeling something. And so you just immediately go, I'm, I must be losing my mind. I'm, I'm going crazy. Absolutely. What's yep. happening to me? And no one, and no one else is talking about it. Everyone else seems pretty yeah. normal air quotes here. Right. So it makes you feel more isolated and disconnected to what's happening. So I think you know, the mission and the work that you guys are doing, particularly in curating and, and cultivating a community is to help, help that language, help that um, vocabulary become part of the work that you do and also realize um, this idea of the distinction between the walking wounded and the wounded mm -hmm. healers that yes. you so beautifully said, you have to be on the journey of your healing. You have to yes. realize that you have been wounded yes. before you can help someone else who's in a wounded absolutely. state. Yes, absolutely. I jumped right into wanting to help others after my daughter died. I had no business doing that in retrospect. I believe that it delayed my healing mm. because I was just trying to fill this hole and answer this why by doing this outpouring to others. But it, what it was doing was it was keeping me embedded in the experience without yeah. the skills to process it. It was a good eight years after Zoe's death before I had um, this experience um, in church that left me in tears and talking to the pastor's wife for hours afterwards where I realized I am not healed. <laughs> I've got some work to do. And it really, it kind of coming to that breaking point and realizing that just surrounding myself with sad and traumatic stories without the skills to process. I'm not a therapist <laughs> by training. So I didn't have that training to not just carry the weight of everybody's pain right. with me. It was harming me more. But so. imagine all the wisdom that you curated so that now you can pivot and say, look at, I know you want to help the world right now, but you're too fresh off your trauma. And I can speak from my own lived experience of what that means to you. You, right. you feel the calling, but these are the steps or how, however it yeah. unfolds, right? Yeah. I mean, is there a yeah. process of how you onboard these yeah. new peer mentors? How, how well, I think, so I don't do the peer mentors myself, but right. when I'm talking to, yeah, when, but I know that that is part of the training, the organizations that provide peer mentoring, that is 
the, they have a screening process okay. to identify is this person really ready to be in this space because we don't want it to harm you know they don't want it to harm the mentor they don't want it to harm the family and so it can be very difficult conversations these leaders have to have sometimes with people who really just want to help but when they have this screening and training they usually try to find some other way to engage them and provide the support services um, from my perspective i'm really looking at the people who are starting the organizations because there are so many parents that come out of the NICU and out of a bereavement experience that want to start a nonprofit, sure. that want to start a program because it was something that they lacked in their own experience. Yep. Yep. Um, and a lot of them are quite fresh and I will share my story with them. And I always say to them, just remember the need is not going away Yeah, and take your time be very deliberate in what you're doing. Focus on one thing. That's the whole reason we have this network, right? If you can't provide a specific service, that's okay. We probably have another organization that's been doing it for years that you can partner with. And that's the whole point. It can't be about me and my organization. It has to just be about the family right. and the family getting what they need, how yes. they need it. Yes. it. If your focus is to be the best organization. There's a different distinction between being the best or the only organization and being excellent at the work you do. That's our continued message. It's okay to pause. Mm -hmm. It's okay to reset. You're not failing. <laughs> There's no such thing as failure. It's just that didn't work out well. Let's try something else. It is very evident when you have a young, passionate leader and you know that they are not sleeping because they are doing everything themselves. And so we're just continuing, you know, us veterans now <laughs> can just continue to say, pump the brakes a little bit. Your child is young still. Don't miss that. You yeah. Because you only get that once <laughs> yeah. with oh, that child. Yeah. That's a great way of helping people see and not miss out on the now. I think our natural tendency is when you have a wound that is deep and vacuous, it's sometimes you can't dive into that. It's a touch and go. I'm just going to dip my toe in that wound for a little yep. bit and then yep. find some solace externally. And gradually, yep. gradually you can mine that wound and metabolize mm -hmm. those experiences and uncover the wisdom and mm -hmm. the stuff that you're going to let go, but it is a journey and it's such a juxtaposition mm -hmm. to the way our society operates, right? It's yeah. very productivity driven. Being human isn't about the productivity. That's a small fraction of what it is to be human. It's about yeah. the living and the experience. And it sounds like that's where you guys really, you and community, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, how you rally around these individuals who are yeah. obviously driven and have a calling, um, yes. and found a community and want to serve, helping them navigate that. Right. Yeah, because we want them to last. Yeah. We don't want them to to burn out in three seven years and have to close up shop. And one of the things that I love about the the program, um, the certificate program, is the validation that I've gotten in the modules, particularly about vulnerability is courageous. That is courage. That is being brave. As veterans, it's really interesting because we have this older class of 
leaders that started with us from the very beginning. Some of them were actually at that 20 summit and have been with me all the way through. So we have this great opportunity to be mentors to the new leaders and the emerging leaders. We're trying to put some standards of excellence to what it means to be a NICU parent leader. A huge part of that is recognizing your own pain yes. and your own trauma. The veteran core group here. We've all been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, major depression, one or the other, or a combination of all three. I've been in therapy since the beginning, but what was really pivotal for me was when I found a therapist that specialized in trauma. That was huge for me yeah. um, to find this. She previous worked with in the VA hospital with veterans and then went into private practice. She was amazing. And it was just, it was, she just kind of, she helped. I love that word that you use the metabolize because that really does feel it's, right? it's a great word for what it's like. <laughs> it is, but it's so important as leaders. I see the young ones come in and they feel intimidated by the ones who've been around for a while. And we're like, no, you know, we're all needed here. There's room yeah. for everybody. And what a perfect message because it's the truth, right? There is room for everyone. We can never have enough folks who are caring, compassionate, loving, and, yes. and serving at their highest. Yes. Let me ask you a question now yes. about in this work. There may mm -hmm. be two populations that you're serving. Mm -hmm. It seems like you may be serving, you know, this large kind of population of the NICU parent and the, the, and the NICU family, mm -hmm. but also serving the organizations and how they kind of bring up their own, you know, yeah. add to these parent leaders to provide yeah. these services. Is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a mountain with, mm -hmm. you know, so we, we have like NICU parent network kind of at the top. That's kind of this umbrella for all of the individual organizations okay. or the individual advocates that are, and those are the ones that are doing, you know, the base of the mountain in the trenches we want to do. I mean, I think about us as like a professional society, like yeah. man or a one, you know, that's providing the advocacy, the voice of the nurse. Yep. We're trying to pro provide a voice for NICU families when it comes to legislation and care guidelines, family centered care benchmarks and that kind of thing. Um, we're also providing that community, bringing them together. Being in the NICU is very isolating. Mm -hmm. And being a leader is often very isolating as well. So let's bring these folks together to learn, to grow together, to support one another, so they can be better at running their organizations and supporting the family. I, I, that's a perfect analogy. I mean, when you were saying that, I did start to think about NAN, you know, in, mm -hmm. and, and the support they provide to patients with the intention of then impacting babies and, and families. Absolutely. You're making the, the profession better. I was a residential interior designer was, <laughs> and a member of the, you know, Atlanta chapter of the American Society of Interior Designers. And, you know, because that was one of the first things that people were like, well, you know, how are you going to have these nonprofits that are kind of competing for, and I'm like, hmm, I, I think we can get over that. Yeah. And it was the same thing, you know, you would be in, you know, Atlanta, which was this, you know, pretty, you know, decent sized design yeah. community, but they had this society where they would all come together. And yes, they would literally be competing for clients, but we were learning together about new products, new building codes, networking and building relationships. And 
that's what it's about, building this community so that the families are served in the best possible way. Have you been able to kind of like distill down top priorities that you see at the top of the mountain? What do you see as those top priorities for babies and families? And then maybe even for mentors? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, certainly the the COVID-19 pandemic really laid bare how the fact that families are not equal care partners. And we lost a lot of ground in terms of family-centered care. Our organizations were, most of them were seen as optional. So they were, you know, when families needed more support than ever, the services weren't there. I think we only had one organization out of our membership that never missed a day that was identified as an essential part of the NICU care team. And then we had another that maybe was out for six weeks and then was back in. But most of them really, you know, struggled to get to the families. And as we've seen, you know, with the WHO, the recommendations that they put out last World Prematurity Day, they had 11 new recommendations. Five of them had to do with family support and presence in the NICU. That's the top priority, keeping the families together, integrated as a part of the baby's care team. I think one of our biggest legislative hurdles is paid family leave because our healthcare system does not set things up for families to be with their children in the hospital. Advocating to reestablish and strengthen those family-centered care practices. I'm a part of the Family-Centered Care Task Force, which is working on creating benchmarks because it's not measured. There's no way to measure it right now. We're stepping in and we're going to do it because it has to be done and families need to be together and they need to be supported. And we need to have those um, standards, those expectations in place so that there aren't any gaps there, you know, there's, there's no more um, losing folks in the cracks that this is Mm -hmm. uh, part of how you're evaluated on the, on the quality and the caliber of the care that you provide in in our setting. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you have babies and children, their only voice is their caregiver. You can't just treat the medical complexities of the baby or the child. Right. You You have to look at that baby or child as a part of a unit um, of family, however that family um, looks. And and that all has to be considered in everything that happens. If it's happening to or for our babies, we care about it. There's nothing too clinical that we don't care about. And I think it's high time that we really start recognizing that ecosystem, that Mm -hmm. family as an integral ecosystem to the baby and integrated to the healthcare community. Part of it too is reconnecting with our shared humanity and acknowledging the dignity and humanity of these tiny little humans. They are much bigger, as you said earlier, much bigger than their diagnosis. Their needs are complex, interconnected, and, and hinge on the integrity and wholeness of the family as well for the short term, but for the longer term, right? Across their lifespan. And I think so many of us haven't embraced Mm -hmm. that fully as part and parcel of what it means to work with critically Mm -hmm. ill newborns. And yeah, absolutely. I've heard you talk about clinicians interested in the brain science of what happens with these babies and how they're impacted. Their brain structure is even different. We've got this intervention in the parents and the caregivers 
but what does that cost? It costs nothing. Exactly. <laughs> to have that, that do everything they can to remove whatever barriers there are to make sure that that baby and that caregiver, that parent can build those connections. At your recommendation, I did read that Bruce Perry's book, What Happened to You. Oh. One of the things that struck me the most was when he was talking about the impact of a you know, healthy newborn, the impact on that child if it has a depressed mother. So a mother is present, taking care of the baby, doing the things that the baby needs every day, and yet they're not connecting. There were signs of neglect in that child's development, even though the parent was actually present, which again, just speaks to the critical importance of supporting the mental health of the parents. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what is happening to our babies that are preterm or full-term with medical complexities that are literally separated from their families. The families aren't getting the mental health support that they need. It weighed on my heart that we've got to do better. We have to do better. Well, I mean, and this is the work. This is the work that your organization and all of the partners within the NICU Parent Network calling out this incredible gap. If you look at some of the clinical indicators uh, the, those measurements, they talk about hospital-acquired mm-hmm. conditions. Are you familiar with this mm-hmm. language? Hus- yeah. yeah, hospital-acquired conditions. It's like infections and yeah. Yeah. falls in, in the grown-up yeah. world. But for me, a lot of the morbidity that we're seeing, disease-independent morbidity, like the psycho-emotional mm-hmm. and developmental mm-hmm. disturbances that mm-hmm. these NICU survivors are experiencing, they're hospital-acquired conditions because we mm-hmm. have not made a commitment to partnering consistently and reliably with the parents and involving and integrating them into the care of their very own baby. So that family feel as whole as you can feel in the throes of a trauma um, and cultivate that post-traumatic growth that can actually emerge when we really do this right. Yes, absolutely. Um, That's one of the things that we really want to promote with our members to the healthcare community. We know that you are understaffed and underfunded, and there are so many things that make it difficult for you. But look, we have this professional community of people (laughs) that are trained that can partner with you. They're not trying to come in and do the work of the nurse. They're not trying to come in and do the work of the doctor but they can be a partner and a bridge to alleviate some of that because nurses and physicians aren't taught how to support families in medical school and nursing school. You don't learn about psychosocial support. (laughs) We recognize that. And that is the core focus of these organizations is psychosocial support of families. So, you know, let's figure out ways to integrate peer support leaders to be that bridge to support the families so that everybody has a better relationship and better communication in the next. To me, it's about caring out loud. It's really just about calling it out and saying, we can do better. We want to do better. I mean, come into the field wanting to make a difference. And it's incredible to be able to do that, to really kind of free yourself from this illusion that you have to do it this way, because this is how you've done it for the past 30 years and start realizing that there are better ways and that you can step up and care out loud in your own way. I I would love to get your take on what this means for you and and the work that you do. What does it mean to care out loud? 
I love this question. To care out loud, really, to me, it means connecting human to human. Mm -hmm. It is relating to one another. It is doing what you can to alleviate suffering of another person, whether that other person is the baby, whether that person is a nurse, whether that person is a physician, because we know that the healthcare partners suffer as well. Um, and so when we can show up as our true authentic selves, human to human, person to person, passion to passion, that to me is what caring out loud is about. And I think when you care out loud, it invites the other person to do the same. Oh, I love that. When we can do that, we really get to make those connections or don't connect. I mean, keep our distance, mm -hmm. keep that yeah. mask on. It suppresses our authentic mm -hmm. self, which is our yeah. most healing, loving self that I yeah. operationalize through my nursing skills, right? And right. someone else right. can operationalize through whatever skills they have. Right. And the parent operationalizes through their skills, yeah. which are, are rich and complex as well. And we can all right. come together and, and make something challenging and difficult, not seem so dark. We know we can mitigate the suffering but through the proper supports for the family, for the staff. The time in the NICU is really tiny compared to the rest of the life of the child. Right. And the foundation that is formed for that family in the NICU sets the stage for how they're going to be able to navigate life afterwards. I mean, we were really fortunate to have a primary and secondary nurse for Zoe, who was the most complex and was going to have the most challenging road forward developmentally. But the hospital that we were in really, they valued and understood the continuity that we needed as parents in terms of the nursing care. So when my other two got moved to the step-down nursery and I started to have a new nurse every day, oh. I went to one of the neos and I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> I can't yeah. handle this. Yeah. You got to like, get me a rotation. I'm, I know that you, you know, that it's different than in the acute area, but get yeah. me a rotation of like two or three because I can't handle the new face every single yeah. day and yeah. the different messages. And they did but they really set us up for a foundation through the care that we received as a family by the nursing staff and by the neonatologist. They had the primary team too. So we always had the same doctors. I know that's not the way it is everywhere. We were very fortunate um, to have that. It doesn't mean that we didn't struggle. We still struggled, but we were able to move forward after the NICU as well. And I think one of the wonderful things is we know what can be done. We know mm -hmm. the power of what can happen if we operationalize a more compassionate, human-centered approach to the work that we do. We just need to get out of our own way. Yeah. You know? Get out of our own right. way. Just do, do the right thing. Yes. Right. I mean, <laughs> you, have, you have shared so much um, insight and wisdom. Is there any chance that there's one thing that you would say, um, if nothing else, this is the pearl that you should take away from this conversation. Well, I'm going to give two. Excellent. <laughs> one, one, I want to speak to the clinicians that, you know, that care for the babies and families. Never underestimate the incredible power that you have as a clinician to change a family's life. That truly our, our confidence 
comes from our relationship with you. And so never think that your job isn't important or that you can't make a difference because the work that you do is incredible. I mean, these nursing relationships that I had 17 years ago now, almost, I still have about five that, that I'm still very, very close with. And I had nobody else in the NICU until I found my peer mentor. But, but yeah, it's just the impact that you have on us is, is positive. I know that there's a lot of negative things that get talked about, but I do want to really highlight the positive that comes out of these relationships with the clinicians as well. And that's when they're vulnerable enough to connect to me human to human. And if there are NICU parents who are listening that are thinking about starting an organization, I would say to really look at your own trauma and your own healing journey. And if you haven't really addressed that, seek out some support because the need is not going away. Unfortunately, babies are going to be born early and medically complex. It's just not something that's going to go away. But to your point earlier as well, you have to be whole yourself before you can try to help fill somebody else. Those are my two nuggets. I would. Well, those are very valuable nuggets. Thank you so much, Kara. This has been incredible. I do have a surprise question for you. A fun rapid fire. Okay, so if, I love it. If you get flustered, you can just say pass and we'll go okay. to the next question. Okay. It's just some of your favorite things. Number right. one, favorite book. You know, I really do think it's what happened to you. And that's Harry a book. book. It's, I keep going back to it. So it's got to be that. Favorite movie? Pass, because I'm not a movie person. My husband oh, wishes cool. that I was because he loves movies. <laughs> Favorite song? Favorite song. So right now there's a song called Live Like You're Loved by Hawk Nelson. And my four-year-old makes me play it on repeat on the way to preschool. Oh, and it is a beautiful song. And I love that one. I have to check it out. Favorite yes. activity? Favorite activity. You know, I still love to decorate. <laughs> oh. I do the decorating things and refinish furniture every now and again. So oh my yeah. gosh, I might have to have you come over my house one of these days then. All right, good. Sure. good. And favorite color? Favorite color is kind of a, a teal color. Yeah. Oh, that's actually one of the accent colors in my house. My outside. Yes. We went pretty wild with that. Yeah. And now everybody has a, a little bit of a deeper understanding of who is Kira Sorrells. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. It's you wonderful. are the best. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening in today and sharing your time with Kara and myself. Please join me next week as I have an incredible chat with Dr. Heather Forkey, a national leader in child welfare, a true champion of children, and a pioneer in understanding how to identify and address trauma in childhood. You won't want to miss this one. Showing up on purpose makes the difference, and that begins when we care out loud together. <laughs>